0: 13 years ago, 13 years ago, God was calling me to a new assignment. God was asking me to give up my job in what some people would say was the real world to come to a job here at Calvary Church in full-time ministry. And to say I was overwhelmed would be an understatement. I was completely overwhelmed with the thought of transitioning jobs and coming to a position in full-time ministry. There was a lot on my mind. I had a good life. I had a great wife. I have a great wife. <laughs> three wonderful, three wonderful kids, the picket fence, the dog. Now actually I didn't have the picket fence and the dog, but I had a good life and we were comfortable. But God was clearly asking me to become a pastor. And that made me not so comfortable. And I had like every reason or every excuse in the book not to make the change. I had a wife that didn't sign up for a ministry gig. I realized that we would have to do some simplifying of our life, and I did not want to simplify any part of my life. People would think we were weird, and people would think I was crazy. There were a lot of fears and anxieties that went with the call, with the new assignment. But eventually it became really clear that that was what God was asking us to do. That was the change that God was asking us to make. And the straw that broke the camel's back was my wife and I, we were driving one night and she turned to me and said, she said, this is obvious to everybody and it's obvious to me, we need to jump. Those were her exact words, we need to jump. And I said to her, do you actually know what it means to jump? She said, yeah, we need to jump. We need to trust and obey. We need to be people who trust and obey what God asks us to do. So eventually, with my number one excuse gone, we made the decision to trust and obey. And it was a short time after that, that I received an email. And in that email, the person who sent me the email quoted Isaiah 43, 13. And this is what Isaiah 43, 13 says. Yes, and from the ancient of days, I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? What? Can you imagine? You make this decision, and shortly after we make the decision, receive this First, in an email, confirming, affirming the decision. Looks like we're making the right choice. When I act, who can reverse it? And I read it, and I was affirmed, but as I read it deeper, as I read it closer, I'm like looking at it, and I'm thinking to myself, well, wait a minute. I thought I made the decision. I thought we made the decision. Clearly, there's something else going on here. Because God said to me, when I act, no, who can reverse it? Nobody can reverse it. So, yeah, we made some decision. We made a decision, Jen and I. But God clearly made the decision. And God was reminding me when He sent this email, He was reminding me of His power. He was reminding me that He's the one that controls everything. And I needed to be reminded. I needed to be reminded of His power, and I needed to be reminded of His control. But here's the thing, what I know now, that I did not know then, that not only was he powerful, not only did he make decisions, but he had a much bigger and better plan for us, for me, for Jen, and for our family, because he was going to do a new thing. So this morning, what I want you to know is that no matter what you are going through, no matter what experience you are in right now, no matter who you are right now, God is doing a new thing for you. And it is bigger and it is better than you could ever imagine. So now I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to open up to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. If you don't have a Bible with you, no problem. We have one in the rack in front of you. So grab that Bible and turn to page 590. You will see Isaiah 43 on page 590 in that Bible that the church provides, and it will help you to follow along. Last week, We were in Isaiah 41. This week, Isaiah 43. Last week, we were in Isaiah 41. And we saw in Isaiah 41, I asked you to imagine a courtroom scene where God told all the nations that he was the one who calls all the shots and that their idols were powerless and worthless, just like our idols are powerless and worthless. Then in the middle of this courtroom scene, God speaks to you and God speaks to me. And he says, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be afraid or dismayed because I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This morning, the theme of his power and his care continues. Look at Isaiah 43 and look at verse 13. It's the one that I just had up on the screen. Look what it says again. Yes, and from the ancient of days I am he no one can deliver out of my hand when I act who can reverse it the answer to that question the obvious answer is no one god is god he is essentially saying here i am god exclamation point he then explains it with the most basic meaning when i act no one can reverse it. When I choose to do something, no one can stop me. He is declaring his deity. He is declaring his sovereignty, the fact that he controls all things. To be God is to be sovereign. This has been a constant theme for us throughout the book of Isaiah. God is God. And he says, when I act, no one can reverse it. Back when we were in Isaiah 41, we saw that God prophesied through Isaiah that not only will Israel be conquered and exiled to Babylon, but then while they're in Babylon, God is going to raise up a new king to conquer Babylon and bring the people of Israel back to their land. And I told you last week that in that prophecy, God names the king 150 years before it actually happens, God names that king. And I want to show you that. So turn two chapters over to Isaiah 45. Look at Isaiah 45 and look at verse one. Follow along as I read. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus. That's the king, that's the king of Persia, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that the gates will not be shut. Jump down to verse five. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you. He's talking to Cyrus. I will strengthen you though you have not acknowledged me so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. God is clearly saying here that he is God. God is God alone. He is sovereign. Look what it says. I bring prosperity and create disaster. He brings prosperity And he creates disaster. He is the Lord who does all of these things. He is saying this because he wants us to be filled with trembling awe. He wants our jaws to drop. He is sovereign, and he never, ever falls off his throne. He is always on his throne. He is always in control. And when he acts, no one can reverse it. But then look, jump back to 43. Back to 43. And look at the shift that happens. There's a change in the emotional kind of attitude of what's happening, what's going on here. Look at the shift. Look how he continues. Not only is he God, sovereign and all-powerful, but he cares for you. Look at verses 14 and 15. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator, your King. The all-powerful, sovereign God gets really personal. And he says, for your sake. For your sake, I'm going to rescue you from Babylon. For your sake, I'm going to send King Cyrus. For your sake, I am your redeemer. I am willing to pay any price for you. I care for you. I love you. These are amazing words. If we just stop and pause the sovereign creator God, the one who created the universe, the one who created you, the one who created me says, for your sake, I'm going to do these things. And they are quite amazing words. They're even more amazing when you consider that these people were pretty guilty. Look back, turn back to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, look at verses 18 and 20. Look at what God says to them. Hear, you deaf, look, you blind, and see. Who is blind but my servant and deaf like the messenger I send? Who is blind like the one in, the, in covenant with me? Blind like the servant of the Lord. Now look at this. You have seen many things, but you pay no attention. Your ears are open, but you do not listen. God's saying to his people, You're, you're blind and you're deaf. They have not listened to the Lord. They have not truly seen his mighty works. They haven't listened. They haven't seen, and they've disobeyed, and they're guilty. Yet in the midst of their guilt, the Lord says, but it's for your sake. It's for your sake I'm going to rescue you from Babylon. It's for your sake that I'm going to send King Cyrus. It's for your sake, because I love you. The thing is, it's the same for you and me, isn't it? we're guilty. I'm guilty. You're guilty. God does stuff all around us all the time and we don't see. There's things that are happening all around us and we don't hear, we don't listen, and we choose disobedience. But the Lord says, no, no, no. It's for your sake. It's for your sake that I redeem you. It's for your sake that I pay such a high price. And it's all because I love you. Now, look back at 43. God then reminds them of how He has acted for their sake in the past. Look at verses 16 and 17 of Isaiah 43. This is what the Lord says He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together. And they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. He is reminding the people of Israel what he has done for them in the past. And that's clear from the translation we read. Look what it says. It says, he who made a way through the sea and who drew out the chariots and horses... But in the original Hebrew, the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. In the original Hebrew, it really says he who makes a way and he who draws out. He's not talking in the past tense. He's talking in the present tense. What he did for Israel, he will do it for us as well. He continues to work for our sake. Now here, in these two verses, God is referring to the time when he parted the Red Sea, when he split it down the middle so that Israel could escape the pursuing Egyptian army. Now you may or may not know the story, but the story happens a few hundred years before the time of Isaiah. A few hundred years before the time of Isaiah, the people of Israel are in captivity. They're in slavery in Egypt. And they had been there for quite a long time. And God raises up a leader. He raises up a man named Moses to free them from their slavery in Israel. And Moses goes before the Pharaoh and he says, it's time to let God's people go. Initially, Pharaoh says no. And God does a bunch of miraculous stuff to finally convince Pharaoh, I need to get rid of these people. So Pharaoh then decides that he is going to release the people. So he tells Moses, take your people and go, get out of here. So they pack up, they leave, and then the Pharaoh changes his mind. And he decides he wants them back. So he saddles up his army and he pursues the people of Israel. The people of Israel come to the Red Sea. They are trapped. They have the Red Sea in front of them and they have the Egyptian army behind them. But then God splits the waters of the Red Sea right down the middle so they can cross on dry land. And when the Egyptian army enters into that area, God releases the waters and look what it says. It says, they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Now that is a demonstration of his power and his care for Israel. But it's not only a demonstration of his power and his care for Israel, it's a demonstration of his power and his care for you and for me as well. The point is here that the one who did that can and will do this as well. But then it gets really confusing. It gets confusing. Look at verse 18 forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. What? God just reminded them of all the great stuff he did for them in the past and then he says, forget about it. Do not dwell on the past. Now what is it that he's saying here? He's not telling them that what happened in the past is unimportant because it is important. It's important what happened in the past. In fact, he reminds Israel of their exodus from Egypt to support the validity of his promised exile from Babylon. He wants them to see what he did in the past to demonstrate and show that he can do it in the future. But here's the key. He does not want them to confine him to what he has already done or the way that he did it. Did you hear me? The key is he does not want them to confine him to what he has already done or the way that he did it. You see... We are meant to learn things about God and his character from the past, but he does not want us to embrace the methods of the past. It is about God, not the methods. The problem is, is we often embrace the methods and forget about the God truths that the message was was intended to share. We do this a lot. We're all guilty of this. We can call it the glory days syndrome. We often look back on the past with such fond memories. It's easy because oftentimes the present seems boring or painful or scary. And if the present is boring or painful or scary, it is very difficult to look to the future because we can be skeptical or concerned about the future. So instead, we look to the past and we glorify those pasts. And we do this on so many different levels. We do it individually. I know I'm guilty of this. The older I get, the better hockey player I was when I was younger. We all do this. We look back at the past and we think to ourselves, whether it's in sports, whether it's in in academics, whether it's in music, whether it's in jobs we had, whether it's when we met our wife or we had our kids, we all look back to the good old days and we say to ourselves, oh, this is so, it was so great back then. Those were the glory days. But God says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. But it's also important to note that often we hold on to some painful memories of our past, don't we? Sometimes we're guilty of holding on to sin, suffering, and pain. We hold on to the poor decisions that we made that caused bad consequences in our lives. But what does God say? Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Countries... Countries focus on their past as well. Our president's slogan is make America great again. Some of you may have a red hat. And that's fine. I'm not necessarily against red hats. In fact, I think America is a great country. I think it's a great place to live. I've been lots of other places and there is no place I would rather live. And a lot of great stuff has happened in the past in America. But I am not so naive and insensitive to think that there are many in our country, many brothers and sisters in our country that do not look so fondly on the past of this country. There are people of color who look back and who have a very legitimate perspective and look back and think to themselves, no, 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 I don't wanna go back to that. See, as followers of Jesus, we need to care more about people than we care about politics or our own self-interest. Amen? God says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. And it happens even in churches. And you're saying, really, churches? Come on now. I know, I know there are some of you that would love to see that organ playing every Sunday. (laughs) I've been waiting for an amen from that, but I've kind of set you up not to give one, I realize. But some people would like to see the organ played every Sunday. Some people would like every every song sung out of a hymnal. Wednesday evening services returned, a suit and a tie, dress code. Some people would like to see past pastors, Louis Paul, sing to end every sermon, or Ed Dobson palming a basketball. And you will never get that from Jim nor me because neither of us can sing and neither of us can palm a basketball. (laughs) See, we look back and it's not that any one of those things were bad. They were not bad. It was good. It was good. It was good. But God says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. So why does he say this? Why does he say, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past? The reason is, is because he has plans for the future. And if we spend all of our time looking on the past, we lose the perspective that God is a God of the present and God is a God of the future, and he looks and he knows he knows our lives can be boring. He knows our lives can be painful. He knows our lives can be scary and he knows that causes us to look back. Causes us to be skeptical about the future or concerned about the future. God saying no. I'm a god of the present and I am a god of the future. Look what he says, verse 19. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God is doing a new thing. Do you see that? God is doing, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past because God is doing a new thing and it is better. When we glorify the past, or even when we demon glorify the future, excuse me, when we glorify the past, or even when we demonize the past, we have trouble believing that God is a God of the present and a God of the future. We don't expect God to do anything. We don't expect God to show up. We just expect things are going to continue just as they are. We're not open to new things, we're not open to new ways, we're not open to new gifts from God. And we end up in a rut that ends up robbing us of our freedom, vitality, and hope. We miss what God is doing now and lose hope that he is going to do anything in the future. Or if we do hope that God is going to do something in the future, we want it to look and feel like what it was like in the past. That's why God says to Israel, do not dwell on the past. I am doing a new thing. I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. In the past, he rescued Israel by parting the Red Sea. His new promise to Israel was that he was going to make a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. That is a new thing for Israel. They should be looking forward to the future. And even now, God is doing something new in your life. Each one of you, God is doing something new in your life. Do you perceive it? Do you see it? Or are you deaf and blind? Now it may be at the earliest of stages and maybe you can't quite see it yet. Maybe the sprout is still underneath the ground, but it is coming. God is doing a new thing in your life. Last week, God told you, he said to you, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand, and that is true, but this week, he's taking it a step further, and he says, see, I am doing a new thing. And here's the thing. If you are the student who is going to a new school, it is true. Do not be afraid. God is with you. Do not be dismayed. He's your God. He's strengthen you. He'll help you. He'll uphold you with his righteous right hand. But he is also saying to you, I am going to do a new thing. If you're going to a new job, God says, so do not fear. And then he says, I'm doing a new thing. If you have a new assignment, if God has called you to start a neighborhood Bible study, maybe a small group, maybe He's just asking you to make friends with your neighbor, He says, So do not fear, I am doing a new thing. If God has called you to move to another place to serve Him, He says, Do not fear, for I am doing a new thing. And even if you're struggling with addiction, if you've been diagnosed with cancer, if you have heart disease, God says to you, so do not fear. I am doing a new thing. He is still on the throne. But here's the thing. When you first understand that he is doing a new thing, when you first perceive it, it is going to initially feel like death. When Jen and I made the decision to go into ministry, when I decided that it was God's will that I became a pastor, I'd love to tell you I was over the top excited about the opportunity. I was not. I was full of fear. I was full of anxiety And you know what? To me, it felt like death. My future to me looked bleak. And this morning, the new school, the new job, the new assignment, the new move, the call out of addiction, the cancer, the heart disease, it may feel like death this morning when the people of Israel were at the shore of the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was at their back for all intents and purposes, for everyone's view, that was a place of death. But then God split the sea and they walked right through on dry land. God promises, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God promises a new thing to get Israel back to the promised land. He's going to make a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So what's your wilderness this morning? What wilderness are you in right now? Is it the new school? The new job? The new place to live? The new assignment? The call out of addiction? Is it cancer? Is it heart disease? What's your wilderness? I want you to identify it right now. Because the promise is, not only is God doing a new thing, he says, I'm going to make a way in the wilderness and there are going to be streams in the wasteland. You see, the new thing that he is doing is a good thing. It's the right thing. It's a noble thing. It is a thing that has your best interests at heart. Now I don't know exactly what the new thing he is doing in your life is, but I do know one new thing that he is for sure doing in your life through the wilderness. So there may be multiple things he's doing I'm not sure of all of them, but I am sure of one thing he is doing in your life. And the one thing he is doing in your life through the wilderness is it is his intention to, for you to know him in a way that you have not known him before. Do you understand what I'm saying? God brings you into, he is on the throne. He brings you into the wilderness so that you will know him better so that you will know him in a way that you have not known him before. Look at how God says it in the book of Isaiah. This is these are God's words. Look at what he says. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. God brings his people Israel into the wilderness the place where he made his covenant with him, the place where unless he shows up, nothing is going to go well. And he brings her into the wilderness and he brings you and I into the wilderness to speak tenderly to us. This can literally be translated to speak to her heart. You are in the wilderness because God wants you to know him in a way that you have not known him in the past. And he wants to speak tenderly to your heart. God is doing a new thing. Forget the former things. Do not remember the path because God is doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? He is making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And it's there where he wants to speak to your heart. I told you that I was not excited about the change that God had called us to. I was sure we were to make the change. Isaiah 43, 13 made it clear to me that God was in control, he had the power, he made the choice, and this was the right decision. The problem was then is that I didn't read ahead. I didn't read ahead to know that he was doing a new thing and that he was going to make a way in the wilderness, and that there would be streams in the wasteland. But you know what? I didn't read ahead then, but I can look back now and testify to the goodness and the faithfulness of God who show has shown up time and time again. And I can testify that it has been bigger and better for me, for my family, It has been bigger and better for us. He has redeemed us. He has rescued us. And I will tell you, he has saved me personally. Because he did a new thing. And the good news for each one of you is we have read ahead now. And I am telling you, because God has promised it, he is doing a new thing. And you may be in the wilderness. You may, look it. I can't imagine what it's like to come out of an addiction. I don't, the diagnosis of cancer, the heart disease, death may be right around. But in that wilderness, God says he is going to do a new thing. He is going to make a way in that wilderness, and streams are going to flow in the wasteland. And my encouragement to each one of us, it is to you and it is to me. Perceive it. See it. And hear of the God who sits on the throne. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.